Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, after a couple weeks of fairly heady movies that were uh, a, a little bit deep and a little depressing and serious, we decided to get to something totally goofy and fun, something we knew uh, would be totally goofy and fun. So this week, what we are doing is 1989's Witch Trap, which is not to be confused with Witchboard. It is definitely not a sequel to Witchboard, which uh, it, it tells you in the very, very beginning, before the title credits, and is plastered all over the VHS box art. Even though Witch Trap and Witchboard are written and directed by the same guy, Kevin S. Tenney, also um, happens to star a bad evil spirit with a big beard and hair that terrorizes people and doesn't really pop into play until the very end of the movie. Uh, played also by the same guy. Actually, most of the people in this movie were also in Witchboard. So I, <laughs> yeah. I guess we just had to make that clear in case uh, you didn't know. But the similarities between the two movies are huge. And we love Kevin S. Tenney. We've done a couple of his other movies. We really did enjoy uh, Witchboard, as I recall. And uh, we're big fans of Night of the Demons. At least Night of the Demons is just one of the most iconic uh, horror movies of the late 80s in its corniness, cheesiness, and just overall fun and effects. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, this this movie came out, I believe, the year before Night of the Demons and two years after Witchboard. And then a sequel to Witchboard came out later. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, these are the movies Kevin Tenney is most famous for, even though he was making stuff up into the 2000s. And apparently had to step in for a character in this movie as well and put on what has to be one of the most excellent acting debuts of all time. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure I've never seen this movie before, actually. Although the box art always attracted me in the video store certainly hadn't seen it and i think i actually had confused it with witchboard because actually the box art if you're trying to make your movie not be confused with another movie don't make the box art look almost exactly the same right (laughs) and then don't put on the box art for your other movie this time it's not a game well i don't know i mean take it on its own witch trap apparently was never a game in the first place but if you compare it to which board which is referring to a ouija board then i guess he's trying to say this time it's not a game because it's not a sequel to which board so (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh boy this was quite a fun movie to watch and i'm looking forward to chatting about it but i'm pretty sure this is the first time i'd watched it how about you, Craig? It's funny that you say you're pretty sure you hadn't seen it before, because I feel the same way. I'm not really sure. I didn't think <laughs> I had. And then watching it, I don't know. I may have. Uh, but frankly, uh, it's it's not particularly memorable. So no. if I had seen it before, I'm not really surprised that I don't remember much, if anything, about it. I don't know. The only thing that I really knew about it was that it was made by the same folks as uh the people who made witchboard which again was uh a positive in my book because i am a fan of witchboard but like you said uh, they go out of their way to let us know it is certainly not a sequel and it's not though like you said they are strikingly similar in many ways but I think that Witchboard, while certainly no masterpiece, is far superior. This movie, you know, gosh, 
I'm not really <laughs> sure what to say about it. The the thing that the, the thing that struck me most well, there are a lot of things. <laughs> One, I I think it has some of the worst, cringiest dialogue I've ever seen in a movie. Oh God! <laughs> I mean, obviously, I know who wrote it, but in my head, I kept thinking, "Who wrote this? Like, <laughs> these lines are so stupid, and nobody would ever say these things." Secondly, the acting is pretty darn bad across oh my God. the board. Everybody. There's not a good actor yeah. in this whole movie. <laughs> no, it's pretty terrible, which is compounded by the fact that somehow they screwed up the audio. They recorded the audio live as they filmed, but somehow it got screwed up. So they had to go back and redub all the dialogue, which is painfully obvious and really only highlights how bad the acting is anyway. So... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good start. I have to say that too. The 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 acting is wooden. I mean, this is the best example of what I would call the most wooden acting you've ever seen. Like the faces barely change expression and it seems like the actors are not really aware of the content of their lines as the lines are coming out of their mouths. Right. <laughs> I was trying to chalk that up to maybe bad ADR work. Like maybe in the moment, you know, their delivery was so much better, but then when they got behind a microphone in a room, it became more wooden, but I don't think so. I, I just don't think anybody was able to carry it. And also, I didn't at first notice that the dialogue was not quite matching up with their lips because for having to do the whole movie and for being a low-budget production as it is, it's probably better than I would ever do. You know, trying yeah. to match dialogue to lips. But the problem is, is that Uncanny Valley area, it's just yes. enough off that it's almost distracting through the entire movie. As opposed to the Italian movies that we watch, where they're kind of so far off that you get used to it and you don't even care. Right. Uh, yeah, it was annoying. But yeah, it it that's the least of this film's problems. I, I thought that the the dialogue... There were moments in which I thought, you know, this dialogue probably sounded extremely clever on paper because it is filled to the brim with what are supposed to be jokes. But the jokes are corny as hell. And maybe if they were delivered in a more natural way, at least half of them would have come off. But because the acting behind it is just so wooden, it, none of it comes off. And some of it's really cringy like they're racist racist jokes in there and weird stuff that people are saying to each other like people don't talk like this no right and that's the thing like i felt like they were supposed to be jokes too but they fell so flat like you say maybe if they had been delivered more naturally i i almost feel like they needed to ham it up a little bit more like they mm. i almost felt like they were taking themselves very seriously delivering these silly silly lines and this has happened several times with movies that we've watched i found myself thinking was this supposed to be a horror comedy right because they were re especially with the main character tony who is this detective like pretty much everything he says is a quip but he delivers it with a straight face and it just falls completely flat like i wanted to laugh at it or with it but in the context it's it's just 
really not funny. Like no. <laughs> I, I, re- I really didn't laugh out loud at all. No. I recognized that the things that they were saying were ridiculous, but uh, it seems so written. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. at one point, Tony calls people a bunch of chuckleheads, and uh, he refers to another guy as a walking hard-on with feet. Like, nobody says that. Nobody says any of these things. Especially some of the dialogue between the cops, which I think is supposed to sound like hard-edged ribbing, but also the, um, well, I mean, what, the one cop, his name is Tony Vincenti, and he's got a partner named Levi, who's African-American, and that needs to be said, because it's pointed out multiple times in the movie when people make black jokes Uh that are uh, really stretching the boundaries of taste, even in the 80s, I think. And then their boss is Murphy, and this is like a private detective firm, and Tony apparently, we hear later on in the film, was the the best of the best, apparently, out of the police academy, was a great detective on the L.A. force, but had some trouble with a particular case, and uh, now he's been hired by this guy instead, and he's out of the force, so. Yeah, supposedly, like, he's this great detective, but he's such a wise guy that they, <laughs> they, they kicked him off the him. force. <laughs> right. Yeah. This guy, you could have kept him on the force. You just would have wanted him, like, you know, cleaning the bathrooms and stuff. <laughs> well, he's just, he's deliberately difficult. Like, he's just crusty to everybody. <laughs> like, he doesn't like anybody. He thinks everybody's stupid. He's just got, like, a huge chip on his shoulder, and he's supposed to be the hero of the movie, which he is, I guess, but he's not likable, which is unfortunate because he's played by a guy named James Quinn, who I really don't know from anything else except Witchboard, and he was my favorite character in Witchboard. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, he was the funny, chummy friend of the main guy who got killed and in that movie when he got killed I was bummed because he was my favorite character and he got killed off really early and he was just really likable and endearing in that movie and then here it's just totally different (laughs) I I get it he's playing two different characters so I get it Um, but uh, I don't know he might be a little out of his league with this one I'm afraid well I just think it's bad I just think it's badly written and like what are you gonna do what are you gonna do with this I I suppose that we should mention the premise right like yeah yeah, why not? <laughs> the, the the premise of the movie is that there's this old house and that's where it opens up and um, the style of shooting in the opening scene is so similar to Witchboard with these like ghosty POV shots and weird like growling and noises kind of behind the shots and there's this goofy looking guy in this house who's just immediately scared and we don't know what he's scared of and but apparently he's so scared that he either jumps or is supernaturally pushed out of a second story window and he falls out then proceeds to bleed a pool of blood like <laughs> like within Rapidly. like 3 seconds 3 seconds so much blood comes gushing out of this guy it was like he was a water balloon that popped it was <laughs> uh, 
That's true. He could have been swimming in it if he wasn't dead. That's for sure. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and during all of the POV shots in this house as we're zooming around, we get a lot of this creepy imagery inside the house. Everything looks semi-satanic and old and weird. And there's a f- picture frame on the wall that inside of it over the fireplace uh, is this guy who looks exactly like what was his name from Witchboard? Uh, Malfader. Yeah. I mean, it's like they used the same makeup, and, and they yes. did use the same he guy. He looks exactly the same. Yeah, again, if you're trying not to make your movie a sequel to Witchboard, why in the world are you making so many similarities between them? And honestly, I know you've already said it, but I just want to reiterate, like, if you are interested, if you've seen either of these movies, really, like, just go online and look up the box art. They are virtually identical, <laughs> the, the box art for these two movies. Um, the only difference, really, the only notable difference is that on the Witch Trap box art, there's a little tiny, like, Polaroid of Linnea Quigley, who is in this and thank goodness because she was the pretty much the only part of it that I enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, it, once that happens, uh, a guy named Felix gets a phone call uh, and he's basically like, oh, you're calling us in okay. And he calls out to Agnes, which is his wife. Agnes and Felix were both also in Witchboard. And uh, we get our first boob shots of the movie, which is actually pretty impressive. I wasn't expecting boobs, you know, four minutes into the film. But Agnes, for no really good reason, is just laying in the tub when they get the call. And it turns out that Felix and Agnes must run this sort of go-to Ghostbusters outfit, more or less. Mm -hmm. She's claims she's psychic and Felix claims he's a psychic. And then they have a couple other people along with them uh, who are now... He, she kind of has to recruit the other woman. Uh, she has this conversation with a redhead named Whitney who's out jogging. And it's such an awkward scene where Whitney's out jogging in the park and suddenly Agnes comes out almost like she was behind a tree or something and just starts walking towards Whitney and running alongside her. Whitney, you have a gift. You mean a curse. I mean a gift. And if you believe God gave it to you, you must believe he wants you to use it. Ooh, that's a cheap shot, Agnes. Especially coming from you. Why? Because I'm an atheist? It scares me, you understand? I can't control it. But I can. I hope so. For everyone's sake. (laughs) And then she runs away. And then in the very next scene, she's there. Like, I guess she changed her mind. I... I have I have no idea. It made no sense. Anyway, whatever. It didn't take a whole lot of convincing for Agnes to no. bring Whitney into this team, which apparently Whitney was a key element of this team, as it turns out, because her husband is a medium who can channel... What did he say? He's a mental medium, and she's a physical medium. Yeah. I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. It's like he can channel the speech or whatever of the ghost, and then the physical medium can actually... The ghost can work through the physical medium to do physical stuff right. in the world or whatever. And then Agnes is just along for the ride, I guess, with their... Videographer. The videographer, Linnea Quigley. So super happy to see her in this movie. She wasn't in it nearly long enough, nor was she given enough lines. No, and it's so sad because she is the o- like she's the only one with any kind of charisma. Yes. Like, yes. First, you know, when she appears and this, you know, is par for the course for her career, but the the first 
thing that you see of her is just the camera does this leering shot from her feet all the way up her backside. So, like, that's, like, hello, here's our sexy one. And she is. She looks great in this movie. But she's really just there to kind of be the sex pot, which would be fine if she were given more to do, but she's not. She literally probably only has, like, three lines uh, in the movie, which is unfortunate so yeah so there there's that i I don't want to get ahead of myself so there there's that group and then the guy uh devin lauder who is played as you said by the director and he should stick to directing for sure god he owns this house he inherited it from a an uncle or something and i guess there was a clause in the will that he couldn't sell it and he couldn't tear it down that's a weird clause but and he says so his only other option would be to allow the county to absorb it or whatever which apparently they want to do because it's located right next to this cemetery and they want you know they would want to expand the cemetery or something i don't know he gives a whole big long spiel but he says that um the reason that he he tried to rent it out in the past but nobody's ever stayed for more than a couple of days because it's haunted by his uncle and he knows because he's been there and he's seen it and he's experienced it but he saw some news that these other bed and breakfasts were claiming to be haunted and they were getting a lot of publicity and business so he decided that he is going to he's already renovated it into a bed and breakfast he wants to say that it's haunted to bring people in but He doesn't want it to really be haunted because he sent in some guy, and this is the guy that we (laughs) saw get killed, the amazing Asimov. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why the amazing Asimov. For publicity? Yeah, publicity, I guess. I don't know. Um, But he sent them in there and he died. So now he's brought this team in to exercise the house the stipulation is they have to take this group of cops with them for security for liability reasons or whatever and that's it so even though the cops don't want to go and the people don't want the cops to go it's all or nothing and so they all end up going and then we spend the rest of the movie uh in the house and tony really doesn't want to go because there's a there's a scene between murphy and tony that goes on way too long and murphy is like their boss and you've got to play some of this dialogue it's so terrible you don't like the case no this is not a case this is a joke Look, you want us to go up there and babysit this grade-A group of chuckleheads while they sit around in a circle, hold hands, and talk to dead people. What makes you so sure they're chuckleheads? Maybe this house really is haunted. Yeah, well, yeah, and maybe your parents aren't really first cousins either, Murph, but I wouldn't lay odds on it, because see, if you're not a direct product of inbreeding, then there really is a god, and he's got a personal grudge against you. It's it's supposed to be, and again, you see this in movies, like there are movies that do this well. Lethal Weapon, you know, does this well, where you've got these two cops who kind of are supposed to hate each other, but deep down inside they have an affection for each other, but they still can't stand each other's guts, so they spend the whole time ribbing each other and right on each other's last nerve. It does not come across at all in this movie. It's just a series of really lame one, one-liners these people spit at each other, and Murphy pretends to be upset by it, but none of this is convincing in fact you kind of wonder why tony doesn't 
it has such a problem going into this house. He, he, he thinks it's a joke. So I don't know. Why not just stay there a night and collect the paycheck? You know, right. It's a little silly. The whole idea that, that there is this tension between them. It's just to add something to the movie, but your beer is as flat as my ex-wife's chest. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I know it's awful. Oh man. So anyway, so there's that that's been established. They all show up at the house. It seems like Levi, which I've got to point out pretty much every scene with Levi in it, at some point or another, ends up with some wisecracks towards him that are racial. I love it when Murphy talks like a detective novel. Yes, Sam Spade lives. Never say spade to a brother. Sorry, all the ghost talk must have me spooked. Very funny. And some of these are terrible. And I mean, he'll spit it back like, uh, I'm going to find that overgrown abortion and give him a 38 caliber enema. You're going to do what I say. I'm going to kick your black ass down those stairs. Try it and I'll tap dance across your face like Bojangles Robinson. Uh-huh. Even that's just, all of it's just cringy. And it happens several times in this movie. Even the introduction of the character. And, you know, I I, I don't want to be overly critical because I understand that it was a different time and mm. we're much more sensitive about race and the portrayal of, you know, different races and cultures and whatnot. But just this guy's introduction, like, he comes in strutting down the hall like shaft like they may have well may as well have just put him in like a floor length fur coat and like a Mm. pimp hat it feels so intentional like here's our black guy like (laughs) (laughs) it's true it's true it, it, it just it reads really poorly today well and also he ends up being the one who's leering all over linnea quigley and I don't know. I mean, I guess it could have been any one of them. And I'm not saying that it was like, oh, let's make it the black guy. But that's also a little cringy when you kind of add everything together. Yeah. But anyway, when they show up at the house, you know, he's kind of hanging on her a little bit or hanging back with her. And she's like, hey, you know, I need some help getting some stuff from the van. He's like, oh, I'll go. I'll go. They have a little, you know, back and forth. I feel like as they're walking out the door, they bump into the one of the final characters we meet who is like the groundskeeper (laughs) named Elwyn. And he's like this big oafish simpleton who is made out to be threatening and menacing from the beginning. And I thought, surely this is a mislead. Like surely Elwyn is not just going to be this oafish, you know, bad guy, but no, he is. It's just like the flattest characterization ever like he's the groundskeeper but also he was like the stage manager for the uncle who lived in the house uncle avery who was also like a psychic and an illusionist or something (laughs) and and a satan worshiper by the way (laughs) and a satan worshiper and what happened apparently was they found his body okay well so there's like a satanic altar in the attic that they find right away and apparently Avery's body was found draped over it disemboweled and his heart was missing and Agnes tells the story and and she's like I think that they caught him right in the middle of a satanic ritual where he was trying to make himself immortal but he wasn't able to finish it but they never found his heart it's also silly like apparently (laughs) through you know by them being there it gives him the opportunity to because there's a physical 
because there's a physical medium, like I'm, I'm literally sitting here rubbing my head because it's also convoluted and stupid. <laughs> <It is. laughs> um, like because they're there, he can try again. <laughs> That's right. And Agnes and Whitney know way too much about this guy and what happened in this house. Like they know stuff that you would just have to infer or guess about. They just found this guy murdered. Uh, supposedly nobody knew what it was all about, but I don't know how these two know all of this detail. But maybe it's just because they're experts in the field, so they see things nobody else does. Yeah, they immediate they immediately do what they call a sitting. I, I don't know why they call it that. It, I, I it's a seance, you sit I down. Guess. You sit right. Down you just for you it. sit there and yeah. you know look at each other or whatever, and. Agnes leads it, and she's like, I'm talking to the spirit of Avery, whatever his name was, and um, I have a mental medium here and a physical medium here, and she says, you can speak to us through the mental medium, which he immediately does. (laughs) (laughs) The spirit just immediately enters Felix's body um, and speaks to them in his ghosty voice. And the spirit (laughs) is supposed to be really scary and dangerous and threatening but when he talks through the guy even though he's got kind of this menacing voice it's almost like they like they caught him right after a nap like oh <laughs> like what are you doing here we're here to talk to you oh well i'm going to destroy your soul who are you i'm here to free you from this house i do not wish to be freed then I will force you. You are not strong enough. I believe I am. I will rise like the phoenix and destroy you. All of you. Like <laughs> <laughs> And I love I love the way that Agnes puts it. She's cuz she's doing it for us. She's saying, "Why we have a mental medium here who you can speak through and then later you can, you know, channel through our physical medium over here." And he goes, "Maybe later." <laughs> right. It's and so before funny. it is funny and before they had sat down she had given Whitney this like contraption it looks like a it's just a little black box with flashing lights on it it looks like an answering machine kinda and Whitney sits it on her lap and they talk to the spirit she says show us your power through Whitney and he's like maybe later and then <laughs> Felix convulses and as the spirit exits him, I suppose, and he's like, right after, he's like, I sense something important in the basement. <laughs> so they go down to the basement and they're like looking around and they're like I, I wish I knew what I was looking for and somebody <laughs> says well we'll know it when we find it <laughs> and eventually Felix is like here it is I found it and there's a pentagram it's not even like a full pentagram it's just a star on the wall he's like this is important for some reason and then they just leave that alone yeah. for a long time <laughs> That was we my just... favorite. Thing. It zooms in ominously on the star, and then 
okay, next scene, we're all upstairs. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's important for us to know it's important for later, but we don't right. need to worry about it right now. <laughs> we got a lot more movie to go before we're going to come back to this. All right, folks? <laughs> oh, so gosh. crazy. So they do their exploring, and this is a bit I didn't understand either. When they're in the living room, when they first got in, uh, Whitney, who... By the way, they cast this woman with these piercing kind of bright green eyes again, you know, for this for this role. And at least for that, she was really good. And she was just on edge the whole time, right? You just felt like she was completely uncomfortable and freaked out by even being there. I don't know why she didn't leave the house days ago. I, I, I don't know yeah. why she sticks around. But anyway, she kind of flips out and she goes, oh, there's something behind those curtains over there. And the cop goes over there and he moves the curtain aside and says, yeah, the window's filthy back here. And they all look back at her and they're all like, oh. So I thought we were trying to establish that she's maybe a little unreliable or that, I don't know what was what the point of that little episode was because it was really played up. But she ends up being the person in this whole movie where this guy's channeling through. And anytime something happens... Uh, in the house or to any of these characters, she just goes into these crazy convulsions to show that, you know, he's channeling through her. So she goes upstairs with um, with Tony, and that's where they find the altar, and that's where she gives more of the backstory. And they have this weird conversation about God and faith. It's so, yes, and it's just too much. Like, I don't know, yeah. I was reading reviews or something somewhere, and one of the reviews said, like, all it's pandering about God and good and evil, and it, it just it doesn't fit in this movie. Like, this is no. a silly, dumb movie, and it's like they try to get philosophical for a while, and it just comes across as... <sighs> Like, well, you just want to let your jaw hang down and like, <laughs> roll out of your mouth. Like, oh, my God. Well, they're clearly trying, A, to get this philosophical thing, which is not a theme that carries through. So you're right. It, it doesn't even thematically work in the movie. I mean, it's not just that it falls flat. It's like they don't even really commit to it. And then the second thing is, is that you get the sense that they're trying to establish some kind of relationship between these two characters. Like, for a little bit... Tony's a little exposed here, and he's actually willing to talk about his philosophy, which is angry. You know, he's just like, I've seen rapes, and I've seen murders, and I've seen, you know, 12-year-old prostitutes on crack and blah, 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 so there's clearly no God. And then she's basically, oh, I feel sorry for you, but you're going to find out soon enough, you know, the Satan and, and God are real, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's kind of the essence boiled down of what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then that crops up a little later in the movie, but it's not really significant. It's just another conversation they have. And you feel like they're working towards some kind of redemption for him, like right. he's finally going to believe, he's finally going to see things. And he kind of does, but he kind of doesn't. You just you, They were trying, but then they just didn't really bother to, to see that through, I think, you yeah, know, as the movie it, went it, on. It falls flat. I, I think you're right. I think that's what they were trying to do. I think that it was supposed to be revelatory for him at the end, and, oh, good and evil do exist, and but it, it just doesn't well, read. Like, I mean, <laughs> and with unconvincing characters, you know, you're going to get... Everything else is kind of unconvincing too, right? So, uh, mm -hmm. so that probably 
probably that's it. I had mentioned that box before. Uh, what's his name? Tony asks Agnes about it, and she's like, "Oh, it's an invention of mine." Basically, it's just a go. It's a Ghostbusters ghost trap, basically. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like so it, it. She she gives this big explanation about how ghosts are literally the souls of people that haven't passed on and um, with this contraption somehow through Whitney and this contraption she can trap the ghost in this little box and then take it out of the house so <laughs> hence the title witch trap that's what her invention is Yeah. so I, I suppose that's their goal but uh, once they have that initial seance and then they kind of go off looking around for a little bit Linnea quickly I, I just call her that ginger, yeah. <laughs> ginger. Um, and Levi go out to the car for something and I think my favorite line of the movie no really even though you can't see them with the naked eye sometimes the camera will pick them up and put them on tape well, scratch my ass. Not until I know you better. <laughs> and it's one of her only lines, and she says it so flirty, and I just love her. She's great. Then we kind of start getting into, I guess, the the horror. Because like you said, Whitney is alone in her room, and she starts convulsing. Meanwhile, Linnea Quigley is taking a shower because she's Linnea Quigley and she's in a movie and that's what you do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and once again, like Linnea Quigley in a movie, it's full frontal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Head to toe, full frontal. And, you know, we talked to her about that and she's comfortable with nudity and good for her and she looks great. Uh, and so she's uh, in the shower. Whitney's convulsing on her bed and the the water goes off and she's like what the hell <laughs> and she's like she's like poking at the shower head and looking up in it um and then just out of nowhere in a split second the shower head shoots out of the wall directly into her neck like stabs her in the neck and then pulls back in and she's dead and i was so bummed that she I was know. the first to go i mean i guess it should have been predictable but I would have, I would have so liked to have seen more of her. I think that she could have brought a lot more life and levity to the movie that was needed. Yes, and and I mean, this is one of the more creative kills I've seen in a movie. I don't think I've ever seen the shower head just sort of extend like that pipe extends out of the wall and shoots into her neck and then pulls back. It's very supernatural because something like that could never actually happen. But then, you know, later on when the girls are talking about her, well, they, 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 what's her name's convulsing. And so there's that. There's also two television screens downstairs because these video cameras that they set up for the sitting are still running. And so we see on these television screens a very ghostly Avery walking up towards his urn of ashes on the mantle of the fireplace but then that ghost trap thing is next to it so he cringes back in terror and walks away and he does that two or three times god like, yes it's so dumb it took me a while to realize what was going on here because later on those ashes disappear and so i guess the ghost was trying to get the ashes but that ghost trap being positioned where it was was keeping him away from it 
it wasn't until the movie was over that I put all that together. So that happens. But then once they kind of comfort uh, Whitney, then uh, they realize, where's, uh, where's Ginger? Ginger? And then somebody says, oh, Ginger was upstairs taking a shower. And so they run upstairs and the cops open the door and see her body in there. Ooh, and, and run out. So they're now they're arguing, what are they going to do? And they, they, they think that Elwyn killed her because Levi had caught Elwyn peeping at one of the other yeah. ladies. Um, so they think it was him. But the thing that bothered me about this scene was they find her dead. And like, and this happens in horror movies, but it always bothers me. Like, they just leave her. It, they just leave her there, and they're not particularly upset or concerned about it. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Well, even later, the two girls are like discussing, and they're like, man, can you imagine? I mean, what happened to Ginger? How did she die? Do you really think that guy could have done it? I mean, he would just go in there and stab her? And the other girl's like, well, maybe he raped her before that. She's like, oh, yeah, maybe he did rape her. Like, what? Like, this I know. I mean, this is this is how bad the dialogue is in this movie. It's just it's just laughable. well, and it's I know, and it's so silly. Like Whitney somehow no, not Whitney. I keep getting them mixed up. Agnes somehow convinces them to stay, which is also stupid. It's so convoluted, and it's all about making Murphy. Th- you know, oh well, what happens if I call and say that you know the reason that she's dead is because the security was so bad on our thing? And Murphy's like, oh. Let that happen. No, we won't call anybody. Right. So they send like Levi for the police. I don't remember which happens first. Um, when Levi goes, like he drives out to the gate, but the gate is locked, and so he's standing in front of the gate. And then Whitney has another one of her seizures, and the car comes to life, and like first pins him against the gate, and then backs up, and then he falls down, and it runs him over, and he's dead. But they don't know that, so they're all just still hanging out in the house. And at one point, Felix and Whitney are having a conversation, and I have to say that they are both just insufferable. Like, they're absolutely <laughs> awful. They're, um, they're terrible, terrible actors, especially Rob Zappel, who plays Felix, I I really want to believe for his sake that it was just po- so poorly written and directed that it wasn't a true reflection of his abilities. Because if it was, whoo boy! Um, <laughs> but they have a conversation, and he's like, "Oh, you know, when somebody dies, it makes it real." And she's like, "Well, people die all the time." And he's like, "Yeah, but it's different if it's somebody you know." And she's like. Well, Felix, we barely knew her. <laughs> we, we only worked with her one other time. So it's not like we really knew her anyway. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess. This, this actually was the only moment in the movie when I did laugh out loud. <laughs> Why would Elwin kill Ginger? I don't know. She was naked in the shower. Maybe he raped her first. Probably so. It it seems so senseless. Name me a killing that isn't senseless. I suppose. But it has more of an impact when it's someone you know personally. We didn't really know Ginger all that well, dear. We only worked with her that one time at the Stone Dean Mansion. Oh, God. So anyway, they do that. And then uh, so there's the casual rape talk about Ginger and uh, the long conversation about Agnes's motivations, like you said. And this is when we learn that Agnes is really hoping to get like a book deal out of this or really boost up her 
presence and their business or whatever. So she's like, if I can finally, finally catch a ghost, then this is my biggest shot we've ever had. So that's why she's so obsessive about everybody staying and seeing this through. And then um, Whitney convulses again. This this kill comes completely out of nowhere. It feels like it was just like, oh, yeah, we got to do something about Murphy, so let's kill him off. Yeah. Whitney just starts, like, we switch from all these scenes which are interconnected to Whitney convulsing again and Murphy cleaning his gun, and a bullet rises out of an, a box of ammo and goes straight into Murphy's forehead and shoots him, which actually I thought was kind of a cool kill. Again, not something I've... Think I've seen in any other movies where just a bullet flies through the air, just propelled by a ghost. And and this kill scene and also Levi's kill scene had to be cut short a little bit because the movie would have gotten an X rating. So we'd never actually see the car rolling over Levi's head, which is apparently a deleted scene. And we don't see like a close up of of Murphy's brains getting blown out. And the funny thing is Murphy gets killed and I don't think does anybody ever discover the body or notice that Murphy is missing? Yes, uh, because they Agnes walks in on Whitney having her seizure and she's like, Oh no, he got to you behind our backs. Um, and he was working through you behind our backs, like when you were alone. He waited until you were alone and then he got to you. And so they know that he could have done something so then they go looking around and they find the dead guy and tony says no a ghost didn't kill him he got shot it must have been elwin they, they just keep blaming everything on elwin yeah and is that the point when tony like runs the now they're actually gonna leave right yeah but tony goes to the basement i think it's around the same time isn't it maybe it's concurrent with this bullet in the head thing where he's in the basement for some reason and he's looking around yeah. and a knife flies off the wall and pins him to a pillar just through his clothes. It doesn't actually hit him because I think it's at the moment that Agnes wakes up Whitney right. uh, that that knife is kind of midair. So it's, it's a little off. But then for some reason, Elwood is actually down there in the basement too and he attacks Tony again for no good reason except he's like you guys are gonna get out of here it's you know you're all gonna die blah, 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 blah. yeah he will rise again they have the worst fight scene it's just like punch 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 fall back punch some more it's really I mean it's not thrilling <laughs> yeah and then Elwin kind of escapes right he just runs out the door or something yeah yeah and so then when they decide to leave and, and it's especially important that they get Whitney out of there because she apparently is the key to this ritual and without her if she's removed from the equation yeah. then the ghost is powerless so it's important that she get out of there so Tony goes to get the car or the van or whatever there's a van there for yeah it's the van that they brought in I just I, I'm I'm Getting, they get uh, Whitney out. Tony gets Whitney out somehow. I, I think that Elwin shoots the van and blows it up, but somehow they get her out in the car, and they get the gate open, and he sends her off, and he also kills Elwin. He has to shoot Elwin like 15 times before the guy actually goes down. Execution style in the head. <laughs> oh, and what does he say? Oh, uh, he, he holds the gun up to his head and says... Oh, come on. <laughs> that that reference was dated even in the 80s. Yeah. Like, uh. Uh. Oh, and Felix got shot. Elwin shot Felix. It's stupid. Like, 
the Felix hears the van explode and he comes out and he's like, Tony, Tony, what's going on? And then he gets, and then he gets shot. He gets shot. And then while Tony's off getting Whitney out of there, um, Felix is like, I think we should do another sitting. As he's bleeding. <laughs> right. Oh, and my, another of my favorite lines is, when they get back inside, when Tony gets the shot, Felix back inside, Agnes says, Felix, you're wounded. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> these are the lines. Oh, my gosh. But then comes something I was totally not expecting. They do their little sitting. And Agnes is like, all right, if you think we need to do a sitting, let's do a sitting. And Felix wakes up and he channels immediately the bad guy. And the camera is close up on Felix's face. And then he goes, and then his head explodes. Yes. That was beautiful. Yeah. But that completely caught me off guard. (laughs) I was not expecting that. It was was hilarious. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, Agnes antagonized him about something. I, I don't. It's just like at this point, the movie's completely off the rails. It's like they've broken their own rules. Like this guy can make this dude's head explode. Where did that come from? (laughs) It's it's not like Whitney was convulsing or anything at the time this was happening. Right. Supposedly, she's not even there. Like, and, and so she's driving down the highway and she sees the bad guy in the middle of the road and, like, she's going to try to run him down even though he's a ghost. What? But instead, right before she is about to strike him, he disappears and there's a semi coming right at her. So she drives off the road. No, but, but look at this. This doesn't even make sense. Why would he be trying to kill her? She's one of his keys to getting into the world and affecting the world. So why would he even try be trying to get her into a head-on with the semi? It makes even less sense when she arrives at the police station and she goes to run in the door and she actually we then go we as she's running up to the police station, we return to Tony and Whitney at the house and Tony goes to open a door like to the outside of the house and Whitney comes running in and she was like Oh my god, it was a trick. I never even left the grounds. Well, then what was all that nonsense on the highway about? Like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it was a cool Uh. idea, but it was not executed well. So they're there, and for some reason, is it Agnes who says, We know, oh, it was during when they're channeling the bad guy for the last time. She says to him, We know where your heart is. And I don't know. At what point they figured that out, it's never really explained to us. But, I mean, we all knew. Duh, it's behind the pentagram in the basement. Right. Like, it's the only mysterious part of this of this building you haven't checked out. So they're down there, and Agnes is like, we've got we've to get his heart. She says, we've got to prevent him from reuniting his heart with his body, because that will bring him back to life or something. And the urn has gone missing with his ashes in it which presumably the ghost has taken, so they have to find the heart and, I guess, destroy it or something. Or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's not really clear. They just know they need to get the heart so the ghost doesn't get the heart. And she has figured out at some point, which we don't really know, that uh, the heart is behind this thing. So they get a little chisel out and they bang out the rock behind the pentagram. And sure enough, they pull out a box 
you know, with satanic signs all over it and the lock on it. It looks like the box out of Snow White, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. It's it's kind of cute. And and they pull that out and they just say, oh, his heart is in here. They don't, they don't open it up. They don't look in. I really wanted to see what a dead guy's heart would have looked like in this box, but we never get that opportunity. Uh, and then from here, Agnet, like all hell breaks loose in the basement. I think Whitney goes into her convulsions again, and an axe flies through the air, goes right into Agnes's head, so Agnes is dead. And then that same axe starts flying through the air towards Tony. But they have that box down there, which they had brought down The witch trap. The witch (laughs) trap. And he holds it up, and suddenly it's like a cartoon. Like, that that axe goes, and stops like floating in front of him and drops down uh, and instead i guess because the ghost got too close to the witch trap uh, it starts sucking it in with this effect of the of smoke going into this witch trap so they set the witch trap down but immediately whitney says oh i can sense that that's not gonna hold him he's really really pissed off in there and he's gonna get out soon we got to find a way to 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 kill him for good uh we have to get that urn you know with his ashes in it and they've been talking about finding this the whole time yeah and they're like well we don't know where it is and uh whitney's like well you're a detective figure it out (laughs) 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 and so and so then he sits and thinks real hard and he, he goes if i were an urn full of ashes where would i be and then and then they look at each other and both say at the same time the altar (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) so they go up to the attic to the altar and i don't know is she in like some kind of trance or something they just walk toward the altar like they know what what yeah but they get up there and 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 they're they they're like oh like the house is shaking and we can see the witch trap like shaking and smoking and then they're like oh it's not here. <laughs> and then the bad guy busts out of the witch trap. And then I think once he busts out, he possesses her, right? That's it. Yep. Yep. He possesses her. He goes in, into her and she walks towards the altar and pushes a little panel on the front where the pentagram is. And that falls open and reaches in and pulls out the urn. And uh, closes it up. And then she turns around and drinks the ashes down. Yeah. Which then, (laughs) there's this really long scene where Tony's like, uh, uh, Whitney, Whitney, are you okay? Whitney, Whitney, are you okay? He's like walking slowly towards her while her back is entirely to him, motionless, not saying a word. And when he turns her around, of course, she is now this guy, the bad guy. Avery. Physically, like she Physically. has turned into him. And it's this same guy. It's the same guy that we've seen in the photographs. It's the same guy from Witchboard. And he's like, ah, standing there in front of Tony. Yeah, I mean, it's silly. It's, I guess, the final showdown. Tony shoots him a bunch of times. Of course, that doesn't work, I guess, because even though he he's immortal now. So um, the bullets, I guess, just like they don't even have any physical effect on him at all like they just go through him and hit whatever's behind him and they fight for a while and it's all very silly and like the bad guy like holds him up 
in the air and is, you know, I don't know, saying menacing things, whatever. <laughs> um, but finally, I guess Tony breaks free and I don't know. He says something he stupid. He just gets an epiphany, um, really, is all. It's just one of those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And so he, and he shoots the heart box. It starts to bleed, and the bad guy, Avery, starts to bleed also. And he shoots it several times, and eventually, somehow it ends up... Doesn't it, like, fly out the window or something? Yeah, I don't remember how. Does Tony throw it out the window or something? I'm not sure, actually, how that goes down. I don't know, but it lands on the ground and explodes, and there's blood everywhere. Um, And then, (laughs) Avery, like burns slash melts and the effects here were pretty good but they lingered on it way way too long like it went on for a really long time and it you know it, it was just melting wax off of some sort of form but finally when it's all melted away all that's left is like a skeleton and then <laughs> these you know woman hands that came from I don't know where reach up and pull pull the skull plates off Whitney's face and it's Whitney underneath and she's fine. Yeah. That's really the end but then they do this stupid end cap it's with so weird. Tony. It's dumb. What is it? I mean what is what is this supposed to mean? I think it's supposed to suggest that he now like runs his own PI firm and people are calling him for paranormal jobs but he's not interested in it. Um and then he has well, we see the bad guy, Avery, doing something, I don't know, just like approaching the camera or something back at the house and then Tony like wakes up with a start like he was just dreaming that and then that's the end it cuts to black and the credits roll I don't that's know so it's a weird. really really stupid end cap I don't know if they were trying to set it up with it for a sequel or if this was just because as soon as the scene started I'm like oh god this movie's not done yet like it should be done by now right and he has that really long conversation with that woman on the phone telling us about how miserable he is now and about how naive people are and ghost hunting is not all it's cracked up to be and he hangs it up and then he has that jump scare and then he wakes up and then there's a good five or eight seconds of just him startled afterwards staring off into space yeah i don't know what it's supposed to mean i really don't i don't i mean again again it wasn't like uh even if you were to look at this theme of him getting his redemption learning about god and satan and it's all real it doesn't even make sense in the context of that he's just sitting there like super depressed right so yeah i don't know What a movie, right? It was interesting. I mean, this is the movie you make fun of. This is exactly the movie you make fun of. And and it's a shame. It's so weird coming from this director. Like, I mean, I'm not saying he's the best director in the world, but Night of the Demons was a corny movie, but it was a fun movie. Oh, super fun. Full of energy and effects and just off the wall. I mean, just a blast from beginning and also a bit of a comedy, right? I mean, it it knew what it was. It was was so good. Which, Which board, we laughed at that too, but it had heart and it was fun and the characters were interesting. And And the acting was all right. Yeah, it It was okay. But this is like complete opposite it's just horrible every bit of it is just dumb it's so it's stupid. really really bad the writing is bad <laughs> the, the acting is bad the 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 film is so convoluted and it, it's just it's like 
I don't know. It feels like a tax write-off movie that somebody had to throw together, you know, and shoot in a week. It's <laughs> just so dumb. Uh-huh. So what a shame. But it was, again, it's the movie you make fun of. You get together with friends, you make fun of it. I think this is perfect, perfect for that. And on that level, just the sheer inanity of this film, it was enjoyable on that level for me. Yeah. I can't recommend it, but if you're in the mood for doing that, then I'd recommend it. <laughs> it, it it's almost... I wish that it hadn't taken itself so seriously. I think if they had leaned into the corniness a little bit more, it would have been more fun. Mm. But yeah, I mean, if 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 you're looking for something stupid and mindless, and and really something to watch for the purpose of goofing on it, great. Otherwise, I would say skip it. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. it, it's not a good movie. It's a bad movie, and. I guess what I was trying to get at just a second ago was it's just not quite so bad it's good. Mm. Um, it's yeah. just bad. Just bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we watched it because I was looking forward to talking about how bad it is, but that's kind of yeah. the only reason that you would want to watch it. I think. <laughs> it's only redeeming quality. Somehow this movie made it out to the public and somehow is making money from people like us actually watching it again. I guess. Go figure. (laughs) Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. You can find our Facebook page. You can find our website. Just search Two Guys in a Chainsaw and uh, leave us a comment. Let let us know what you thought of this movie and also give us some requests uh, for films that you would like to see us review in the future. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. (laughs) 